You keep the switch of faith turned on. It's easy sometimes that you got automatic lights, and sometimes those automatic lights want to like turn the light out. But you have to keep the switch of faith turned on. In other words, it's a deliberate action. So uh, we're not moved by what we see. We're not moved by what we feel. But we're moved by what we believe. What does that mean? Well, we don't do anything because of what we see. No, it means we're our, our root and our, our grounding and our foundation is in what we believe. And what we believe is what God said. So uh, you kind of set your face like flint. Like this is what the word says. The word says, I was healed or Tom was healed by the stripes of Jesus. But circumstances uh, uh, sometimes and many times uh, try to push you off of that belief. The devil will use many circumstances, many things. He uses pressure actually to exert upon the situation. James 1 talks about it, the crucible really, where you put in this. You remember in uh, high school? You'd have like a little crucible, a little... Uh, a ceramic dish, you put some water in there, you put some fire underneath that water, and that begins to heat up, and that water begins to boil, and you find out there was more in the water than just water. There were minerals. So all the water went out. Well, James talks about uh, the testing of our faith. And he said, let no man say when he is tested that God is testing him. It's actually the enemy that comes to test us. What's he testing? Well, what do you believe? Because he has some sway in circumstances. You know, he's the God of this world. God created, we talked about this last week in the time of giving, and I'm not there yet, but, you know, God created the world, the Bible says, and everything in it. And he created it for mankind, to bless mankind. But then he delegated that authority over the world to Adam. And Adam and Eve gave up that authority by submitting to the devil. And so that's how he became what Ephesians calls the God of this world, or you could say this world system. So that's how Satan got access. Well, basically, like Adam has a lease on the world, and he usurped that lease to the enemy, so until that lease runs out, uh, Satan's on the world. But Jesus came in the middle of that lease as a man and defeated him in every single aspect so that's why it's in Christ that we have victory. So if you try to conquer something like uh, uh, this, this heart problem outside of Christ, well, you're just left to the talents of man and the experiences of man. That's why they call it practicing medicine. You just hope they had a lot of practice, right? So that they know what to do. So whenever uh, uh, I'm praying, and I, I pray that for Tom at the, at the beginning, I always pray for if you're ever going to the doctor, Always pray uh, that the Lord will give the doctors wisdom and that they'll only do things that will help and aid in your recovery and nothing to hinder because sometimes, uh, you know, people uh, can do uh, well-intentioned things, but it can actually kill you or cause problems. We were, right before we moved out here, we were actually delayed in moving to plant the church back in uh, 2014. Uh, when we moved, we started church in 2015, and... Uh, we were in the hospital with this because this little baby was born, and he was born with a deformed heart. And uh, his, all the passages were, where most of them were kind of wrong, and the pressures were wrong, and all this type of stuff. And so I lived in the hospital day and night for about seven days. And uh, so I got to know the doctors and nurses really well. And uh, the first day or second day I was there, they basically gave the family this private room because he was going to die. 
You know, they didn't use those words, but basically. And so he looked dead, actually. And so I spent all night with him. And the next morning, uh, the nurse actually said to me, and this is a credit on the Lord, not a credit on me, because I just was yielding to the Lord. The nurse said, if you hadn't been here, he would have died. So what did we do? Well, we took everything step by step. So we'd say to the doctors, what do you need to see? Well, here's what we need to see. So we would pray about that until we got a note of victory, know we got that, and then step by step. Well, now he's, well, how old will he be? Five years old, four or five years old now? He's doing wonderfully. But in the, in the middle of that, a nurse came in, and uh, she was going to do a, uh, it's funny, you get talking in the spirit, and it's hard to think in the natural. What's that where they do a ultrasound? ultrasound? Yeah, you can see. So she's going to do an ultrasound, and she was pretty particular. So the other nurse that was there, he had three full-time nurses and NICU and stuff like that. And uh, the other nurse said, oh, don't do that. You got to do it over here. And she's like, well, I don't know. So she started to pick him up to move him. Well, he had a cath down right through his throat into his heart. And she finally had to yell at her and said, if you do that, you will kill him. Well, she said, well, I'm not comfortable doing it this other way. I, I, I want to use my right hand, not my left hand. So that's just to illustrate you have to trust the Lord, not the doctors. And I thank God for doctors. And many people would not be alive without doctors. But your, your trust should be in God. And then if you're at the doctor, well, then you're putting yourself in the doctor's hands. So you need to pray that the Lord will work through those doctors. And he will. Yes, he will. And, and, and he will help and aid and, and, and all of that. But the point is, we trust God and we look to God. He's the giver of life. And, you know, any doctor that's honest will tell you they can't heal, but we're thankful for what they do and what they've learned, and uh, it, is a, it is a blessing. So we're not against medicine, but we're just for God. <laughs> you know, we know the actual source. And um, uh, Google's wonderful, but if Google is your main source, like if doctors are your main source of information, uh, your faith will wane. So your faith needs to be founded upon what God said about the situation. We're talking about giving in just a second. If you're talking, you know, your faith should not be in what I say about giving unless what I say about giving is what the Word says and the Lord through His Spirit has made that real to you. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God or hearing by the rhema of God. Literally, the Greek word is rhema, which is God speaking to you or making it real to you or putting a light for you. You, know, you ever read the Scripture? And you know you've read that scripture times before, and all of a sudden, it's just so alive to you. It's like you could just reach out and touch it right off the page. It's so real. That's the Lord showing you something, trying to draw your attention. Why? Because he wants to bless you. And the second that you get in the reality of Christ and what he's done in his redemption, which you see in the word, he is the word, that reality becomes tangible to you in your spirit. Well, then it's, a, it's just not much time till you'll actually see a manifestation in the natural because the things that are seen have been made by the things which are not seen. The things which do appear have been made of that which is not seen. So from the very beginning, what, what is seen now was made because God believed and he spoke and then it became. So with uh, things like that, I don't let myself get heady about it because uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you know, like I, I was an, actually an intelligence analyst. So if you see me afterwards, I'll tell you how smart you are. <laughs> uh, that, 
they call it an oxymoron, I mean, military intelligence. So I was in the military and intelligence. No, but because of that, uh, a natural gifting I have is uh, I would analyze. Well, I can't, you, you know, that can be um, a deficit to me or it can be an asset. Well, if I put it under the mighty hand of God, it's tremendous. Why? Well, in, in a sense, analyzing is meditating. So you know how to meditate. So if I take that and I meditate the word, well, it says this and this. And I remember it says this. What? Well, I'm working with the word and I'm looking from my spirit, not just my head. Then the Lord can make that real to me. And he'll lead me and guide me. He'll say, okay, what about this? What about this? And so, but if I try to do natural uh, analysis, what would I do? Well, I'd research a little bit of Google. I'd research a little bit of the Word. I'd listen to the doctors a little bit. I'd listen to my friends a little bit. And then I'll make a decision. No, the Word of God is to be number one in our life, our, our firm foundation. Other things are subject to change. The Word is not. The Word will never change and he will never fail you. He cannot. Amen. Yeah, amen. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty two, lay hold or grab hold of the faithfulness of God, the constancy of God, like that no matter what happens, he is always there. And not only there, he is always full of power, full of wisdom, full of life for every situation. So especially when you don't feel like it, like Melody was ministering a minute ago by the, under the direction of the Lord, that, you know, you rejoice in the face of circumstances that say you just want to be frustrated and you just want to yell and maybe even cuss. You know? They, one of my favorite stories Pastor Mark would tell is that there's this um, little uh, boy who had a bicycle uh, he had a lawnmower, rather, and uh, there's a pastor, his neighbor up the road, um, had a bicycle. The pastor needed a lawnmower, and the little kid wanted a bicycle. So the little kid saw the pastor. He said, what about, hey, uh, can I have that bicycle? I'd love that bicycle. He said, well, he's like, I actually need a lawnmower. How about we trade? And I said, okay, let's trade. So a couple days go by. The pastor sees a little boy riding the bike back and forth, just having a good time. And he thought, you know, my grass is getting kind of tall. It's time for me to mow the grass. So he goes out and he gets, fills it with uh, gasoline, checks the oil, and he goes out and he starts pulling the string. So he pulled the string. And it didn't start. He pulled the string again. And he adjusts the choke a little bit and pulls the string again. And so he's starting to get tired. About that time, the little boy drives by on the bicycle. And the pastor said, hey, what's with this lawnmower you gave me? It's not working. And he said, oh, pastor. He said, that lawnmower, in order to get that to start, you have to cuss it to get it to start. <laughs> and he said, young man, he said, I'm a pastor. And not only that, more importantly, I'm a believer. And I quit cussing a long time ago. And he said, well, if you keep pulling that string, it'll come right back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. But our foundation is what God says. In other words, what does God say about your situation? And you want to sometimes be in a, in a certain place um, that maybe you're not. Some people have missed the will of God for their life 
even concerning healing, concerning health, uh, because they want to have like um, a spectacular miracle take place. Right? Like, let's just put a brand new heart in there, and that's my only option is a brand new heart. But yet they have a prompting on the inside. Hey, there's a, there's a, there's a donor there. Why don't you take the donor? Well, the Lord knows exactly where, what you can believe right now. And you, you would take the wrong step going outside of what he is leading you to do. Now, he's never going to lead you outside of his word. But just because what we would like to happen, God's very best, like this, this um, you know, um, uh, in that situation, maybe like a brand new heart just grows, right? Well, sure, God can do that. Have faith in God. Look to God. But if he's prompting you something else, then you're actually sinning because you're going outside of faith. You're going outside of where God has said. Because sure, your head can see like uh, it says like, you know, the mighty miracles that happened when the shadow of Peter just passed by them. But if you have a prompting from the Lord, a witness of the Lord, uh, go this direction. You know, Pastor Mac Hammond, who's just a, such an inspiration to me, he's, they pastor him and his wife Lynn pastor up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I think they run about 10 or 12,000 people. Uh, so it's a very large church. But, so I said but, why did you say but? It's full of the Holy Ghost. So you go to Tampa, Florida, you have Rodney Howard Brown, very large church, full of the Holy Ghost, very demonstrative. So the largest church in the world, Young E. Cho's church, he's retired now, but he's the founding pastor in Seoul, South Korea. Uh, when they all get together and pray in other tongues, it sounds like a mighty waterfall. So, uh, you know, you can act uh, on what the Word says, just like the New Testament church of that day, the same church that we are, and it's amazing. The Lord will bless you and increase you and multiply you. But you have to follow what God is saying to you in your situation. So you know that story, some of you that have been here, when my grandmother was passing away, and uh, she'd been in the hospital a few times, and this time we felt led that we need to go up and see her or down and see her from where we lived then. So we drove a couple hours and went and spent a wonderful time with her in the hospital. I hadn't seen her like that in years. She was like, she would always be like, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about this. She was like, I have no worries. <laughs> Everything is wonderful. So we go home that night. We get a call from my brother like 2 or 3 in the morning saying, Grandma's in cardiac arrest. And so Melody gives me permission to tell this story. And so <laughs> we... Uh, we go to pray. Man, I go to pray. It's like I'm praying by myself. You know, you're supposed to pray with the Holy Spirit, not apart from the Holy Spirit. And so Melody's like, we just command Grandma to live, and we just speak health to her body and all that. And then she finishes, and I said, uh, what did I say to you? I don't remember how I said it. I said, um, did you have unction there? And she's like, No. <laughs> And I said, well, I was praying, and I looked to the Lord, and I believe in my heart, I had a witness, she's already gone. And she said, I know it, I just didn't want her to go. <laughs> well, sometimes, you know, the Bible says, let us plead together. Sometimes you can plead. Yeah. But plead together means he's pleading and you're pleading. <laughs> so you're going to set out your case, he's going to set out his case. And so uh, the most blessed way is the Lord's way. And sometimes you don't, um, you don't follow like a straight path. 
And you just follow the leading of the Lord, and it's amazing how much he knows. The church in Michigan we were on staff at for nine years, associate pastors, that pastor, he's hilarious sometimes. He said, you know, I've been in ministry for 35 years, and, and I've learned this. After 35 years, the Lord knows more than I do. <laughs> well, health and healing are true, and it is a reality. It's part of our redemption. But there's like, you could almost say a thousand and one ways to receive health and healing. And a uh, uh, guy that was dean of Rama for a few years, they're missionaries in another uh, country now that kind of they have to do undercover work, so I probably shouldn't say where, but uh, anyhow, he's a missionary in another country, and his wife got pretty sick. And when she was pretty sick, he just said, I just command that to get off of her body in the name of Jesus, took his authority, stone his authority, nothing. Well, later he told us, while he was doing that, he had in his heart anoint her with oil. But he thought, I don't need to anoint her with oil. I know I have authority. I'm just going to command the thing. Well, after she suffered for about a day and a half, he said, well, I guess it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> you know, she was instantly healed. I like Patsy Caminetti. I don't know if you know Patsy Caminetti, but just a tremendous woman of God. She said concerning Jesus being tempted uh, to turn the stones into bread. You know, that's the first temptation of Jesus the devil, you know, let, he was led of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The Spirit's leading him to be tempted, right? So he was led to be tempted. He gets out there. His first temptation after it says he was hungry for 40 days. So you're pretty hungry after 40 days. He was tempted to turn the stones into bread. Patsy said he was tempted to do the supernatural apart from the leading of the Spirit of God. What is a supernatural? Well, supernatural is you, those stones are going to become edible bread. Well, Jesus said the whole time, his whole ministry, I only do what I see my Father do and only say what I hear him say. He's totally sold out to God, totally yielded to God. He's looking every moment, all the time, what is God saying? Well, what is that? Well, it's true. Uh, healing is part of your redemptive package, so to speak, that you get when you're born again. It's part of the package. Well, for this reason, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep or many die because they don't rightly discern the Lord's body. In other words, if you don't understand that his death, burial, and resurrection of the physical body of Christ, that all sickness, all disease, all infirmity was placed on his body, and you don't understand that in your heart, well, you may get sick and die. You may get sick a lot. You may have different uh, diseases, issues, and you may even die. Or because you're not you know, discerning that the body of Christ is one. But if you understand that, uh, then you'll walk in divine health. But nothing that we're doing in this life, that's why I, I'm, I know I'm just kind of following my heart here in the spirit of the Lord, but that's why it's kind of comical when you have, a, sometimes there's, a, it's not good when believers are kind of like fighting each other. So you have some believers that say like, we believe in the sovereignty of God. And they would say like about our church that uh, we don't believe in the sovereignty of God. Well, and you might say you don't believe in the sovereignty of God. And I would just say, define the sovereignty of God. <laughs> Let's define this first before we decide this. Uh, because generally speaking, I would say, and, and the way they mean it, no, I don't believe in the sovereignty of God. 
But do I believe God is sovereign? Oh, 100%. Why? Well, because I'm a person of faith. Because Jesus said, you know, he spoke to that uh, fig tree and it dried up from the roots. And then the disciples are like, what? Never have we seen this, right? He said, have faith in God. He's like, you're impressed at that. That's called faith in God in action. That's what that is. You want to see miracles like that? You want to see the natural completely turned upside down? Have faith in God or lay hold of God's faithfulness. Uh, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will come to pass, he'll have whatever he says. So anybody can have anything if they have faith in God. Well, how do you get faith in God? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith comes by hearing what God has to say about the situation. So Jesus is saying, you know, some people try to take verse 23 and 24. They think that Brother Hagin wrote those scriptures, first of all, and he didn't. Jesus did. But they try to take those and separate them from Mark eleven twenty-two. Well, Jesus said, have faith in God. You could almost add a, then you will say to this mountain, because you'll have whatever you say. And what are you going to say? Well, how can two walk together unless they're in agreement? Habakkuk says. So if you're walking with God, then you're going to say what he has to say through your faith in God. What does that mean? Well, that means my life is totally sold out to God. I am not the Lord of my life anymore. He is my Lord. That means my actions spring forth from his direction. What does that mean? I believe in the sovereignty of God. <laughs> so people that say they don't believe in the sovereignty of God, they say, well, you know, if that was the Lord's will to heal them, he would just heal them. They wouldn't be sick. Well, no, the devil is the God of this world. And when man sinned, sickness came into the world. So if you're going to live by the world, you're going to have sickness coming your way. And we're more than overcomers, more than conquerors. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So in other words, it's not our own works, but it's the works that Jesus did, the blood of the Lamb, and it's us declaring, you know what, that was for me in my situation today. Faith is now. Faith is not past. Faith is not future. Faith is now. Now faith has substance. In other words, I maybe can't explain it to you in natural terms, but I will tell you, this is what God has said, and I'm standing on that, and I don't care if the whole world passes away, this will not pass away, because I believe God. Right. Well, you, how do you know that? You know it in your spirit. Right. Some people said, how do, you, how do you separate faith from like mental ascent? How do you know it's faith or mental ascent? Results. <laughs> because faith will stand in the storm. Hallelujah. <laughs> Look at the time. Well, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So you don't have to see your healing to have it. A.B. Simpson's testimony, just so inspiring. He was a minister... I think Christian Missionary Alliance, and he would minister, and he had, 
I don't remember what disease it was, but it was so bad that he would get up on Sunday and he would minister and it would take him until Wednesday to physically recover enough to begin preparing for the next Sunday. So he finally said, I had enough of this, right? So he goes up to some little uh, house or cabin or cottage he had up in New England and uh, he spent two weeks and he said, I took my Bible and I went through every single scripture concerning healing and I meditated on them and I prayed about them for two weeks. He said, after two weeks, actually a little bit before the two weeks, he said, I have become convinced that healing is as much a part of the redemptive work of Christ as salvation for the soul. Of course, we know we're talking about spirit, but he said salvation for the soul is. And so, so he wrote it down in his journal. He said, I, this day, I take Jesus as my healer just as I have received him as my Lord. And then he said, he said, at that moment, he said, I don't know if my body felt any different or not at all. That's one of my, this is my favorite part of his testimony. He said, I know I did not care because God, I know that God had it in his hand. And if he had it in his hand, it's taken care of. So then he went out and he's with a bunch of ministers and they say, hey, let's go climb this mountain. Well, he, his heart would have stopped before because it was some heart problem. And so, you know, his, uh, the devil and his reason is saying to him, oh, you better not do it. You better not do it. You're not going to make it up. You're going to pass out in front of all of them and just embarrass yourself. You ruin your testimony, all this type of stuff. He said, no. He said, I had to refuse to think that way. He said, I, I, that thought came and I tried to latch onto it, but I had to say, no, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not going that way. Well, that's hard on your flesh, especially if you haven't developed your spirit enough to let your spirit dominate you. Because like Melody said, you're a three-part being whether you like it or not and whether you realize it or not. So if you're going to act from your outward man and you're going to act from reason all the time, well, you're going to have what you could physically produce in strength and what you could mentally figure out. And that's the limitation. We were in, I was in the Philippines with Pastor Mark on a missions trip a few years back, and we were... We were uh, just talking the word together, and he said, uh, he said something that really stuck with me. He said, most Christians only have faith as far as reason will allow. Yeah. Most, in other words, they have faith as long as it makes sense. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, and yeah, I suppose. Right. Well, you're going to see some mighty miracles if you get beyond your own sense. <laughs> Does it make sense that one man could die for all? <laughs> to the mental reasoning? Not really. But check in your spirit when I say that. Yeah. Your spirit's rejoicing. Like, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So he starts climbing this mountain. A.B. Simpson starts climbing this mountain. He said, man, he said, I, I could hardly breathe. And I thought I'm going to pass out. And I just kept going back to, no, the word says I'm healed. And so I am. So he said, I took another step. And he said, you know what? Before I got to the top of that mountain, every symptom had completely disappeared and never came back. Why? He didn't act on feeling. He act on, acted on faith, what he believed, what God had said to him. In other words, he put himself in a position for God to speak by meditating that word. What happened? Well, you can't look, you cannot read the word and look from your spirit to the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, and him not 
talk to you. He speaks through his word. The word and the spirit agree. So he's speaking. And when he speaks, faith is present. That's when you can act. And you'll, he'll even lead you. This is, I love the Lord. Because he knows us way better than we know ourselves. He'll even lead you. I, I've been meditating scripture. I'm like, okay, I'm going to speak. I have a check. Don't speak yet. You need to meditate a little more. So I said, okay. So I'm feeding a little more, feeding a little more, feeding a little more. All of a sudden, it's like, whoo! It's like a pot of water that you're going to boil. Okay, I like to make desserts. Have you ever make chocolate? If you make something like a no-bake cookie, for instance, if you make no-bake cookies, which are just like drop cookies, so you put like two cups of sugar in there, you put one teaspoon of vanilla in there. You put half a cup of peanut butter in there. And uh, you, uh, a little bit of dash of salt, I think it is, and, uh, and milk. Uh, was it? Half a cup of milk. And then you bring that to a boil. And then it says boil for one minute. Well, if you don't boil for one minute exactly, it's going to come out sticky if you do it too short. And it's going to come out powdery and hard if you do it too long. <laughs> I know this from mistakes. Because I'm not having, I guess if I had a candy thermometer, I'd just be fixed, right? So my, my grandmother, you know, she wrote this recipe down, and she's in heaven now. And so I'm like, you know, trying to follow grandma's recipe. And so I, I, I look, and I'm like, I like it when the recipe says, bring to a full boil. Because, you know, when those first bubbles start coming up, that's not a boil. But some people stop at the first bubbles, and they never reach a full boil. Well, then it's going to come out sticky. <laughs> People are going to be like, oh, this is good. And they're like, oh, I don't want to touch the cookies. Right? <laughs> so then I got to finish that. So then after you bring it to a full boil, then you dump in three cups of quick oats. Actually, that's when the peanut butter and the vanilla go in, and then you mix it together, you drop it on sheets, okay? So if you don't make cookies, that's the recipe. But sometimes we want to get ahead of the Lord and say, okay, like these cookies are done. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You know, uh, Father in the Faith, Dad Hagen, Kenneth Hagen, you know, we had the privilege of traveling with him for a couple years. What an honor. And man, you learn so much and still, still go back to so many of those things and anointing comes on. Anyhow, and so his daughter had a little sty or something on her eye. She's in school. So he, he actually drove by the house because he was gone most of the time at that time from home traveling. He drove by the house. When he drove by the house, he prayed for her. And he left and went on meetings. Didn't change. So his wife wrote him because they didn't want to spend money on phone calls. Remember when you had to pay for long distance? So his wife wrote him a letter, said, the nurse says, what's going to be done about this sty, the school nurse? And he said, well, uh, and his daughter was asking. So uh, he said, well, uh, I knew it wasn't urgent. It was, it was over the weekend. And he said, so uh, I just felt I needed to study the word. He said, so I'm a faith and healing preacher. He said, but before I spoke, I went home every night. Home would be the hotel. <laughs> if you travel a lot, that's home. And uh, he said, I read every healing scripture, even though I had most of them memorized. He had a photographic memory. 
He said, but I looked at every single one. He and for, was actually for three days at lunch and at night. He'd read for like an hour, hour and a half before he went to bed. He said, then he said, I spoke to it. And then I wrote the letter and said, uh, tell Pat, was this his daughter's name? Daddy prayed, everything's taken care of. Well, she got the letter and it was still in her eye. The next morning she had to wake up. You know, what we're supposed to tell the, the doctor. He said, it's fine. So she goes up, gets ready for school, and it just fell off her eye. Well, I mean, he ministered faith and healing for 69 and three quarters years before he went to heaven. And before his own daughter, he's going to speak, he's reading the word, meditating the word. Why? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You want your faith, you know, uh, uh, Romans 10, 17, which I've been quoting, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, it's today's, well, I forgot it now. Anyhow, I wrote it down the other day because I keep quoting that, ref, that, that, that uh, Bible, but it's like today's English version or something like that. Actually translates that verse and says, so then faith is awakened by hearing the word of God. So when you act, when you act on what God said, you're acting with the very faith of God. Jesus said, grab hold of the faith of God. Well, the faith of God will accomplish in your mouth what it would accomplish in the mouth of God himself if he exercised it. So have faith in God and faith is awakened by hearing the word of God. So what did he do? Well, he is awakening the faith of God that's already resident in him so that when he acts, he's not acting from the realm of reason or yes, I know that. That's one of the most dangerous things in your spiritual life if you already know that. If you, if you find that attitude, and it's nothing wrong with you, it's called human flesh. If you find that attitude trying to rear its ugly head, you say, you know, uh, you say, no, I'm hungry for this. I want to know this. Praise the Lord. All right. Hallelujah. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And faith, I like what Smith Wigglesworth said, there is not a bondage that the devil can come up with that faith cannot deliver you from. He said, he said um, faith, how do you say it? Faith will remove a chain no matter how you've been fettered, basically is what he said. You know, No matter what chains the devil has put on you, sickness and disease have put on you, your faith will deliver you from that. Faith in God. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, I guess that'll be the offering message and maybe the main message. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. He said, and the only reason I'm doing this is because this verse keeps coming back to me, and this is the one I was going to minister on for the giving, but it kind of actually fits pretty well here as well. Uh, in Passion Translation, starting with verse 1 of chapter 8, Beloved ones, we must tell you about the grace of God poured out in the churches of Macedonia. For even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. Even during a season of severe difficulty 
and tremendous suffering, they became filled with joy. How about you? Don't raise your hand, but how about you? How about me? During a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, you could actually be filled with joy. And you really should be as a believer. Why? Well, Melody, she's ministering the scripture that kept coming to me and um, was Psalm 127.1. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them, whereof we are glad. Hallelujah. In other words, when the Lord turns your captivity, you're glad. And like A.B. Simpson, you might not see any physical evidence of it at the moment. That's even sweeter. Because you know the Lord has turned my captivity. This is a done deal. Now it's just going to show up in the natural. And that's not up to me when that happens. Although I'll tell you if it's sickness and disease, the will of God is that you are instantly healed or you begin to amend. So we're not talking like years or months or anything like that. You know, but some people get lulled into the belief of, well, uh, through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. So if I'll be patient, then I'll be healed. No. What well, is the man that said to Jesus, if it be your will, you can heal me. He said, I will be healed. Right. So we're not talking about like a long period of time. People love to use Job and talking about, well, this must be from the Lord. Do you know that's not true? <laughs> Even if it was, every Bible scholar that I'm aware of actually agrees that the, in, the entire length of time of the whole book of Job was nine months. Maximum one year. The Lord has provided, man, healing for us. He's provided uh, deliverance from every part of the curse. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Why? Because he became a curse for us. So if you believe that Christ became a curse, why did he become a curse? What is the purpose in him becoming a curse? Did he just become a curse to become a curse? Did he even come to the earth so that he could live free? No. The Bible says he laid aside in Colossians, he laid aside his mighty power and glory and became as a mere man for us. So he didn't do what he did for himself except for he wanted that relationship restored. But he didn't do it to make himself free from sickness and disease. He was already free from sickness and disease. And he had no sin and knew no sin. Him who knew no sin doesn't even say he... Uh, new sin. It says, somebody said it back there, he became sin for us. Uh, that, that makes demons shudder and religious people shudder because Jesus actually became sin for us. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Favored of God, right with God. He's like, ushered us, ushers us right in. He's like, you know what? I see what you've done, and I made provision for it already. 
You just come by the blood of my son, the perfect, spotless, sinless sacrifice forever in the heavenly holies of holies, forever speaking better things than that of the blood of Abel. That blood, you come by that blood and you come into my favor, into my graces, which is exactly what he's talking about right here with the Macedonian churches, that they could do this with joy in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their poverty. It abounded up to the riches of their generosity. So they became so generous. Why? Well, the Lord turned their captivity. They were like them that dreamed. They're like, this is awesome. Are you kidding me? I can take a little bit that he has given me and I can sow that seed and he will multiply that seed sown? Oh, you, you, then you're free from the control of money. You like to be free from the control of money? The answer is right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Don't let money dominate you. Money should be a tool. It should not be a controlling force in your life. That's not the will of God that you're controlled by money. Jesus is your Lord. If you're born again, uh, Jesus is Lord even of your money. That means uh, you're not just making decisions about money because this is what you think. I mean, the Lord has given you wisdom. Proverbs actually says you need to save for the future. The diligent hand will be made fat. There is he that withholds more than what is proper. That tends to poverty. But the generous hand will be made rich, Proverbs says. So you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9, that though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. Through his poverty, we were made rich. Through our sins being placed on him, we were made righteous. Mm. That's some good food. For even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. From the depths of their extreme poverty, superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. In other words, somebody was saying, oh, no, no, hold on. Uh, that, that's too much. Don't be doing that. that. That's too extravagant. You're giving too extravagantly. You know, it says, actually, if you go in here, I don't know how Passion says it. For I can verify that they spontaneously gave, not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. Here's the, here, here it is, verse 4. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving. Well, they had faith for giving. They're like, I have to give to this. And people around are like, no, you don't have enough. You, you don't need to give. No, I, I, I have to give to this. They understood. One of the most challenging things on my flesh as a minister is the fact that sometimes the people that need to give the most, I don't mean amount, but need to give uh, uh, for freedom the most are people that are in poverty. We went to the Philippines Melody and I, a few years back, on a missions trip, and it was awesome. And they sent us to three of the, this, this pastor had like, a, I think it was 
40 churches or something like maybe 20 churches at that time on different islands of the Philippines. And so he sent us to three of those churches. Everyone was different. All from the same mother church, so to speak, right? Well, the first church, uh, they all had kind of different personality. So the, the first church and the last church were pretty similar as far as facilities and where they met. The last church was like a brand new church plant and the first church had been there for a while. But the middle church, that middle church really stood out. And in that middle church, so the first church and the last church, we brought offerings, we blessed the people, we brought offerings for all the churches. And so, but the middle church, we get there and the pastor and his wife send my wife and I on a date to the nicest restaurant in town. They put us in the nicest hotel in town. It was like a little, uh, I don't know, not even bed and breakfast, but a little resort. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, standards here, you wouldn't say it was nice. It was like block frame and everything, but it was right on the water. And, but it was really nice. It was, you know, for there, it was super nice. And um, so we went there, and then their church was the nicest building in the entire city. Okay? So... I'm learning while I'm doing this whole thing, ministering. And they actually used to meet in a cockfighting arena. Not much bigger than this, but it was all dirt floor. And so they'd come and they'd have to clean up the blood, poop, and chicken parts from the fights before they'd have service every Sunday. But man, they had a move of the Holy Spirit, wonderful demonstration, manifestation. Well, they get into the new building, and all that stuff kind of stopped. They went into this new building. I think maybe they got too sophisticated for it. Anyhow, we ministered there, and they were believing, the pastor and his wife were believing that uh, the you know, move of the Spirit would come back, and it did in those meetings. What a tremendous thing. And so then they, they just went on from there. But they gave us an offering when we left, and you felt like, I don't want to take this offering. Do you know what? The other churches did not do that. Yet this church did that. They had the nicest building in town. It was like a building from their capital city. What? The word works. They were generous. It doesn't just work here in Washington, D.C. It works over there in uh, Katagara, Philippines. The Lord will increase you more and more. But I tell you, just as a minister, you're kind of like, you really don't want to take that. But it's more important for them to give it than for you to receive it. Why? Because it sets spiritual laws in motion. It sets laws of giving and receiving in motion. It, it, it sets God free to do what he has already done through redemption for it to become a reality in your life when you sow a seed. Just because you know in your head this is how God's laws of giving and receiving work doesn't mean that they are active in your life. One guy said to Brother Hagin, he said, you know, I've been tithing for 15 years and if it's, I've ever seen any extra financial increase because of it or blessing because of it, I don't know it. And Brother Hagin said, well, go through the scriptures concerning tithing and giving and build your faith and then so. Do you know what he did? He came back a couple weeks later and he said, I just got a promotion at work. <laughs> he got increase after increase. And like I said, the last few weeks, uh, you know, man, this has been going on for at least six months here, maybe nine months. I, people in our church continually are increasing, getting new jobs, getting promotions, like one promotion and then later another promotion and then a job opportunity and increase. And why? Well, because you, well, I believe you're acting on the word. 
that's being taught. And it's, it's not like God loves us more than he loves other people. But it's like Smith Wigglesworth said, it seems like God will pass over a million people just to get to one person that's acting in faith. Why? You act on the word, and the, that is where the blessing is. He watches over his word to perform it. So if you're performing his word, you're speaking his word, well, he's, he's going to perform it. He's watching. How, how much detail can he watch in? I think he has better than a Hubble telescope. Right? They say if they turn that Hubble telescope back towards the earth, that they could see like the little, I think, dots on the numbers of your license plate. Well, the Lord knows in greater detail than that. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you that you sent your word and you healed us and delivered us from all the power of the enemy. Oh, Father, I thank you for freedom in Christ in every area of each person's life and each family that's here and represented. Father, I thank you for your blessing upon us as we give. We thank you for health and healing in our bodies. We thank you for restored relationships. We thank you for freedom in our mind and mental areas, that we are not bound by the thoughts of the enemy, that we have been set free by your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you for blessing us that we can be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.